Well, praise the Lord. Let's get our Bibles. 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> you know, there's all kind of different things that when we read your Bible every day, you come across. And I, I hope you do. I hope you read it every day. And I hope that when you're reading it, you got a little piece of paper somewhere there or a little notebook or something. Got your highlighter or pencil or a pen to mark in the margins. Because one of the things that God intends for us is for our thinking, even on earthly things, to be influenced by the Word of God. And some of the greatest truths that have ever helped me and from what I can tell helped others because that's where I've gotten it from others as far as the encouragement and the strength and all that. Some of those greatest things have been just through verses and, and lessons in our Bible that are to form our thinking, how we look at life. Now the world knows this, but they don't know it as it relates to Scripture. They just know it as it relates to words. They know it as it relates to thinking. Uh, they know it as it relates to what they call mantras, you know, and mottos and that kind of stuff. In 1 Corinthians, one of the things that happens, if you've read 1 Corinthians, if you've heard much preaching, the first thing everyone does is get all over the carnality of the Corinthians. And they did have to deal with that. They did. But one of the things that's interesting is that when you read the entire book and take it all for what it says, they had a hold of a lot of good stuff. And so Paul mentions a bunch of that good stuff. We're not going to spend our time in this message doing that. But he did. And he commended them for it when he did. And what we end up remembering them for is what he was correcting. But that's a good thing. Because that means that we can be growing in God and growing in Christ. We can be getting hold of stuff. We can be going forward we can be a blessing to people, okay? And yet we have to be on guard about some things, occasionally make corrections, etc. If we didn't have to make any corrections, we wouldn't be alive. The old illustration I've used for years is take your little piece of like masking tape, something that won't hurt the steering wheel on your vehicle, and put it at 12 o'clock right there. And then just drive down the road and just, out, you know, don't stare at it, but notice how much that piece of tape, that one inch wide piece of tape has to move away from the, to the left away from the 12 o'clock, to the right away, just driving down the road. Those are adjustments. Those are corrections. And that's what we have to do. And then sometimes what we need to do is just keep renewing the right large picture. In 1 Corinthians here, chapter 3 to me, is one of those big pictures we have to get hold of. He said in chapter 3, verse 1, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So people really focus on that. And it's true, he was. But he's about to help them. Watch. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able so he's going to help them. He's trying to help them with a mindset 
that will help them get meat from the Bible and digest it when it's time, have a more truly unified existence together, as he mentions in chapters 1 and 2. And this that he's going to talk about is one of the main truths. It's like a foundational point in your thinking. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So when we walk as regular people, as humans, and that doesn't mean it not written to you, ladies, as walk as men and women, you know, then he said, one saith, I'm of Paul. Another, I am of, Paul, of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? Now, they were special people. Let's back up here a little bit. You cannot deny that the Apostle Paul was a special man. You can't deny that Apollos wasn't. If you read of, of Apollos in the book of Acts, he knew his scriptures. And Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and, and grounded him in the New Testament application of the Old Testament doctrine. But he knew those scriptures. So they were being used. So he says, who then, verse 5, is Paul? And who is Apollos? Well, they're special. God was using them, had his hand on them. And then he says, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. It's a question. Who are who are they? Who's Paul? Look at verse 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, I will just about reckon, I will guess, I will estimate, I'll bet, that you've thought of that or quoted that thought, God gave the increase, more than once in your life as a Christian. You've thought about it. You've heard preachers talk about it. You've heard teachers talk about it. Because it is the truth. But I want to spend a few minutes on it because this truth, when we get it in its context, is really powerful. So let's read on a little bit and then we'll get the big picture first and then look at some of the trees in the forest. I have planted, verse 6, Apollos watered. What's the picture? When you plant something, it's like when you somebody hears it for the first time or they hear several things. Watering is like when you say it, you're saying the same thing but in a different way. So now it's reaffirming them. L listen, if, if you are afraid of repeating yourself in the sense of, you know, like say within, uh, let's say you're a pastor. Let's say you're a Sunday school teacher. You're a pastor. You're a Bible study leader. You're going to deal with the same subjects many times. What you've got to be willing to do, though, is to be practical. We have to be practical in this sense. We have to say, okay, it's a seed. I'm not doing this. Ready? I'm not digging a, a three-foot, one-meter-wide hole and plopping down a tree that has a ball of roots on it already. I'm planting a seed. Okay? And I'm not planting so many seeds that there's no soil for the seed to go into. It's just a big pile of seeds on top of the soil. You sow those seeds. He said, I have planted. And then Apollos came along and he watered it. Watered it with an encouragement. Watered it with repeating it. Watered it with sometimes illustrating it. But he said, but God gave the increase. Now watch, verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, 
but God that giveth the increase. He says it twice now, once in verse 6, once in verse 7. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. That is one of the key truths I want to look at. If I was going to call this something, I'd call it the who's who in God's work. Who's who in God's work. Now, in the world, you'd say the who's who is like, you know, a record of, of all the great people, a record of those who had, you know, achieved or remembered. And we could say the who's who in Christianity. And there have been biographies written about many a person, you know, C.T. Studd and William Carey and <coughs> William Borden and Adoniram Judson and Charles Spurgeon and David Brainerd and on and on and on. But who's who in God's work? Well, verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So, how does that work when it comes to the Lord looking at our life? Verse 8, watch. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Two different kinds of illustrations. One is husbandry, growing things. One building, putting them together like an edifice. That's where we get the word edify in English. But I'd like for you to get this picture with me for a minute. He said, verse 8, Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. D.L. Moody said this, Moody said, a child can pick a piece of fruit, pluck a piece of fruit, but it takes skill to plant and to water up to the harvest. That's important to get hold of because he's saying that planting and watering is the labor, not the reaping of it. So the context of chapter 1 and 2 in this is the gospel. Okay? It's corporate cooperation. It's the plain, clear preaching of the gospel. We should expect that in most times, most cases, the gospel is going to be preached to someone. They're going to hear it many times, more than once. We should expect this. It's planting and it's watering. So, when, the, when an invitation is given or someone opens their New Testament and they lead somebody to Christ, truthfully, as far as God's concerned, it doesn't show anywhere in the Bible that that's going to be what your reward is for. Because God gives that increase. Our labor is not leading somebody to Christ. It's, la- it's planting and watering. Now we've lived in a time when especially the last 100 years... So it's 2023. Let's back it up, 1923. You can honestly say about 140 years, 150, but definitely 100 years. And so from around the end of the 1800s, when you had, you know, great meetings, throughout some of the 1800s, you had great meetings, revivals. You had the Philadelphia church period. And what happened was the harvest time became the issue. Teaching people to harvest the soul. To this day, to this day, people think that the big thing is if who is if 
the person who can lead somebody to Christ. But according to this passage of Scripture, our reward in heaven is planting and watering because God has to give the increase. We're laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. And of the building side in verse 10, he demonstrates according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I've laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So, I want to think just three little thoughts here about this who's who in God's work. What does God do? What does God look for? And how does his work operate? If we're going to be laborers together with God, what are the two things he he doesn't mention reaping here? He doesn't mention the harvester. Because God is the harvester. And the harvesting of that soul is such a small... In fact, honestly, pointing, opening your Bible and pointing somebody, there is no way on earth that in 99% of the cases, someone cold turkey talks to somebody and they have no planting, no watering in their history, and they're going to open, their, open the Bible and that person's going to know how to receive Christ or receive it because you opened your Bible. God has to give the increase. The pattern is planting and watering. But we live in this instant age. We live in this age of live by sight, live by sight, live by sight. I think part of it's a lack of faith in God. So let's take three things. The first one is this. The gospel works like seed. We don't even need to run the references when it comes to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ parables. We don't need to run the references about the word being the seed and all that. The word works, the gospel works like seed. You have to plant it. You have to water it before you can ever reap it. And the most labor is in the planting and the watering. That's where the labor is. Planting, the watering. Now, from a farmer's perspective, if you've grown anything, if you've grown anything in a small garden yourself, vegetables and stuff, if you've done it on a large scale, you have to do what they call cultivating. They have uh, implements that you put on your tractor called a cultivator. The cultivator goes between the rows and it pulls up, it digs up the weeds. Okay? That's, it, that's why it's so interesting that when you take a certain English word, someone says, well, you, we need to cultivate this. What you're really saying is, I need to get the weeds out of it. But the point is, the planting and the watering, getting it to the harvest. The most labor is in this planting and watering. Why is this so important? Because we don't see it that way by nature. We have to make ourselves see it that way. I'll give you a couple of verses to jot down. Uh, and at the very least, let it sink into your head. Ready? Here's one. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. Now remember that primarily the Bible gives you principles and axioms and laws that are in the northern hemisphere. Okay? So when it gives certain things about uh, the north wind driveth away rain, that's talking about a rain coming down from that north part, that north pole. If you live in the southern hemisphere, the one that drives away the rain is the south wind because it's coming from the south pole. That's important to, to remind yourself that that's how the book works. The sluggard will not plow. Why? By reason of the cold. 
You see, the time you have to plow in the northern hemisphere, especially as you get further and further north, the time you have to plow is when it's cold so that you get that soil ready so that when that temperature breaks, you can put it in the ground, you can have time for it to water, you can have time for it to grow. Otherwise, you miss the cycle. You miss the harvest. You have to plow in the cold. I can remember as a young fellow, we decided to put some oats in and different things in up north, northern part of America, up near the Great Lakes. And when you'd start the process of the plowing, it was cold. And uh, one of the little old Massey Ferguson tractors we had had a broken off smokestack on the exhaust pipe on the top. And when you were heading into the wind, that thing was such a blessing. Uh, yeah, it smelled like diesel, but it was hot. It was warm. And when you turned and went with the wind, that wind would come up your back, up your backside, and up your neck, and you'd just be hanging on till you got to the end of the road and could turn back around. So the picture is that the planting and the watering that the gospel works like seed. We, we at our own peril and the peril of the work of God, we neglect these very, very everyday illustrations. Ecclesiastes 11, if you're marking something else, Ecclesiastes 11, this is a great verse, verse 4, Ecclesiastes 11, 4, this is a great verse. And it's a great verse about a lot of stuff. It, in fact, it's a great verse about procrastination. And that doesn't mean you just go wham-wham charging into everything, okay? Just, you know, breaking down stuff and tearing up stuff, bull in the china shop. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean that if we, as humans, have one tendency many times, it's to procrastinate. The, the verse in Proverbs says, The slothful man saith there's a lion in the street. There's a lion without. That's his reason for not doing anything. Ecclesiastes 11.4 He that observeth the wind shall not sow. Got your bag of seeds, you want to go sow, and you're like, ah, it's a little windy today. It might not blow it where I want it to be exactly. I'll just put it off. I'll sit on that for a couple more days. And then, after and it's time for harvest, he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. The picture there is when we would bring in the oats or we'd bring in hay or you take... Some of those things, <laughs> you look at those clouds and you observe them to, to you, I call it paralysis by analysis, which they call it in business, but sowing with an analyzing and reaping with an analyzing mind. When you do that, you hinder the harvest. So in sowing, he that observeth the wind, you know, he says, don't be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Forget the doctrines. As in all the ones that are blowing around. Just ignore them. I think it may have been Proverbs today's Proverbs for the day that we did, what, 10, 11 years ago now. Uh, today's Proverbs for the day for the 24th was partly about that. Today, Yesterday and today's, 23rd and 24th of August. How about this? Psalms 126. Y'all know this one. Psalm 126, verse 6. Verse 5 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. That is obviously a picture of watering when you put it with the next verse. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Does it matter who leads that sinner to Christ in prayer? No. I don't even know that you get the slightest bit. When Paul says fruit that may abound to their account, 
you look at what he did with his time. He was planting and watering, planting and watering, planting and watering. Uh, he was laying a foundation, verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The gospel works like seed. you got to get this. Slow down. Think about it. Uh, go out and plant something. Uh, one of the great illustrations I've said before is this. Well, that's not point number two. The gain is always of God. The gain is always of God. If it's true gain, it's always of God. Seriously now. You see, that's not just a trite saying. You know, a lot of y'all say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or without Him I can do nothing. But you do all kinds of stuff without Him. We're all tempted to. But this is serious. The gain is always of God. This is almost a hidden truth today in the practical sense. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7 of 1 Corinthians in our text. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had been able to figure it out, they would not have crucified the one that brought their own demise about. Psalm 2, why did the heathen rage? They wouldn't have purposely hurt themselves or brought their own judgment. And he goes on to talk about, you know, eye has not seen, ear hath not heard. But here's the point. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Salvation and its process is a mystery. Avoid, resist, denounce, the tendency and the need to explain it. Preach the gospel. Water the gospel. Let God give the increase. That's not a fatalistic thing that says, well, if they're going to get saved, they're going to get saved. It's not. But it so helps people not to get to the end of leading somebody to Christ and have their own doubts as a so-called soul winner. So what do you mean, brother? Some tactics are what create doubt in the soul winner's mind. It's your tactics that do it. It's the environment in which it happened. It's not, did that person really mean it and this and that. It's that you took it upon yourself to convince them. And then, and then, listen to me, and then you want them to show this incredibly bright light, this fruit on the vine, the moment they receive Christ. That makes no sense at all. Get your little cup, put some good soil in it, or, or even some of that, you know, new grow stuff. Put it, make the little hole, put the seed in there, cover it back up. What do you do with seed? You bury it, then you drown it. <laughs> you bury it, then you water it. That's what you do with the gospel. You preach it, you hand it out, you pray over it, you weep over it, and you let it set. If you go dig that seed up to see if it's doing anything, you've killed it. you got to start over. I think many times, personally, over the last 40-some years of watching this, I would honestly have to say one of the great challenges is that we live in a time when people want to check the seed. They want to make the seed come up. Let God draw it up. You won't have near as much trouble. You won't have, as a, as a 
personal worker and a soul winner near as much trouble when someone receives Christ because your tactics won't be what creates your doubt. If you're not careful, you say, are you, well, don't you give invitations? Absolutely. But I'll say this to you. Getting that person to say exactly what you want to hear them say so that you will feel confident that they received Christ is not what's important. In fact, it could be deadly to the soul of the person that God's dealing with. The most important thing is that that seed germinates in their heart. I'm pausing for effect. Y'all need to let this sink in. You need to let the Lord give the increase. That's not fatalism. It's not hyper-Calvinism. Remember he said, one is of Paul and I have Apollos. A bunch of people are of Calvin now. And then they're of this modern preacher or that preacher or they're, you know, reformed this and reformed that. No, just preach the gospel. Plant and water. And plant and water and water and water and let God give the increase because number three the good report is for labor it's not for fruit you said well he said we should bear fruit more fruit much fruit yeah uh galatians 5 9 given there nine different descriptions fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit is that's the kind of fruit you're supposed to bear if you get fruit to your account it'll be because you planted and someone watered, or they planted, and you watered, and God gave the increase because he that planteth and he that watereth are O-N-E, one. And every man individually shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. The labor is in the planting and the watering. Do you know why devotional messages are so important for people? That's watering. You plant things in them and you put stuff in them. You give gospel to people. And doc- Do you know what Paul spent a lot of his time with? Christians confirming them. The Bible calls them in your King James Bible. Not like a religious system does. They're just copying something. But you've got to get this, my dear friend. You've got to get this. What's happening is People have gotten away from trusting the Lord on these matters and they've analyzed it. Some of you, it's more important for you to be assured of someone's salvation than for them to be assured of it. That's the wrong attitude as a personal worker. It's not our place. And God doesn't doesn't work by head count. God gets the head count. God gets the, the credit. We get the labor. So the planters and the waters get the most. Why? Because that's what it takes the most of. When you think of planting, think about that plowing and preparing the soil. You know, sometimes you living your life next to somebody is part of that plowing. That's why they do get offended. That's why they do get out of whack sometimes. That's why many times what they do is they, they get offended at your life when you didn't even... Preach the gospel to them as such. That doesn't mean you're trying to win them by your life. It means you've got to plow and plant and water. And sometimes then after it's been planted, the watering is prayer and it's tears. It's your life. It's your consistency with God. It's your humility when you mess up. 
And you say, man, I should, you know, <laughs> friend, I'm a Christian. I don't know what on earth. I, I, I'm sorry. That wasn't right. Us Christians, we take care of it. We get it right. That's a novel idea for some people. Fruit to your account by doing what? He said that some of them that gave so that he could go preach and teach, that he, would, he wanted fruit to their account. How? By enabling the planter and the waterer. I, I'm so concerned sometimes when people get obsessed with headcount. When they get obsessed with how many this and how many that and what's happening. You cannot be an effective labor together with God as the terminology is in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 3. We can't do that if we're not focused on what our part is. The who's who in God's work are those who plant and those who water and leave the increase to God. Will He use you occasionally? Sure He will. Have you ever thought of this? <clears throat> at harvest time, I was mentioned Moody, plucking fruit. You ever thought at harvest time, the, the, the small percentage of time it takes to harvest compare, compared to all the time and the energy and the resources that are used to get the fruit to come out to be harvested. I've been out at night with them, you know, moving the irrigation pipes for the crops. All night task. Move them, wait a little while. Move them, wait a little while. When it came time to harvest, they just run that machine through there, run them down to the, to the shed, wash them off, pack them, send them down. But it took months and hours upon hours of labor to get it up. It's the same thing with any kind of fruit. Let's make a quick application, then we'll close. Let's take sheep. The fruit of sheep is their wool. It's not their meat, because that's a one-time contribution. You remember that? The chicken says to the pig, let's start a restaurant. He says, okay. What are we going to serve? He said, we're going to serve breakfast. We're going to serve ham and eggs. The pig said, well, for you, that would be a contribution. For me, that would be a sacrifice. <laughs> Hope you'll get that. For him to become the ham on the plate would be a one-time sacrifice, a one-way one street. While that chicken was just putting out some eggs every day. So you understand that sheep's fruit is its fleece. And it grows by being taken care of. Lack of disease, lack of distress. Okay? Lack of drought. So in shepherding, in leading people, it's the same principle. It's the same husbandry. The who's who in God's work. According to this, you know who it is? Planting and watering. Planting and watering. You're watering when you pray for others. But you're watering when you pray for the seed. You're planting when you hand out a tract. You're planting when you preach the gospel. You're planting when you're living your life before people. Planting, watering. Yeah, you can find somebody who led somebody to Christ. Do you realize how easy it is, as Brother Jack Wood would say, for that baby to be born when it gets in that birth canal because God's made the process. When that fruit comes up, you can go and just pluck it off. But it took labor. 
pray and ask the Lord to help you get a vision of being a, a, a worker together. Okay? We are laborers together with God. We're God's husbandry. Who's who in God's work? The planters and the waterers. God gives the increase. Dear Father in heaven, we pray you'd use this now. I ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.